137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Well, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal, episode 256. Now, this will be part two of our terrifying tales from Tanzania. But first off, with me as always is Presto. How you doing, buddy? Eh, you know, it's been one of those fucking days. And we don't have to get into it, but uh, yeah, you've had a hell of a day, and hopefully this will be the... uh, The cherry on top. Yeah. That's all right. We have an action-packed episode for you guys, and we're just jumping right back into those stories that we got. And uh, once again, we've done some research on a few of these stories, so we're going to expand or dive in a little deeper. And a few of them, um, we're just going to let them play for you guys, and we're not really going to dig too much deeper on those. And we've even sandwiched in a special cryptid encounter in the middle Oh boy, I am excited. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about the, the name on that one. That that name really gets me going. So, yeah, there's some interesting stuff here, man. I was a little worried at first that we kind of chopped up uh, the interviews so much and put all the good stuff in episode one, but no, we actually may have saved some of the best stuff for last. So, I'm super stoked about how this is gonna, you know, play out. And again, sorry that there's some background noise. I tried to clean it up the best I could, but, I mean, it's road noise because Isaac um, did some of these interviews while they were in a vehicle, and you know what? We're lucky we even got him. It's freaking awesome that he was even able to record anything for us. So, yeah, we're going to make the best out of it. And uh, again, Isaac, a huge hearty, hearty thank you to you, sir, and your friends over there, and we're just super thankful that you got these audio clips for us, but... Um, Up first, we've got two to three strange experiences with no real explanations. So let's get into it. It was three stories building. So something came in a building and it was like two feet long, the foot part and two feet following that going to the knee. So you could see those two legs moving but you don't see the upper part moving each step the whole building shakes like you won't believe it and I was there to close my eyes and said what is this and uh, the legs were red hot with the hairs on it it's hard to believe but I saw it and I was I think I was four three that time. Uh, <laughs> and form three, so that's like 15, 16? Mm-hmm. Form three is like 15 or 16 years old? No, no, it was like, uh, it was going to secondary when you were 14. And uh, that was like uh, 17. Oh, that's crazy. Really? And uh, during night time, if you are going when I was at secondary school, this is here in Iramba. Uh, midnight, if you go to classes, we were, it was prohibited to go to class at night time. It's different from where I went to high school. We were allowed to go to the class at night yeah. time. So this was, we had limitation. By 10 o'clock, everybody has to go back to the dormitory. But if you woke up and maybe you're going to the toilet, you can hear noises. Uh, whistle, like people playing, and you hear the ball bouncing, boom, boom, that people are playing in a soccer field. And it's midnight. And there's no lights? No lights. Huh. That tells you there's something going on. Yeah. Now, the last portion which I saw recently, I I had a, a milling machine at Mwanga village, which is four miles away from Nighttime, you see a tractor plowing in somebody's field, back and forth with a single eye light. You understand? You yeah. hear the noise. Yeah. But tomorrow there's nothing. No tractor, no field 
plowed, no nothing. That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, well, when we get to the village, I'll ask Raymond and others. They'll give you all these stories because we see. Yeah. It's, it's not something like imagination, imaginary thing. No. It is the truth. You see it and you see you believe it. So do you ever see uh, like lights in the sky, like a UFO? Oh, yeah. All right, so <laughs> we're in a three-story tall building late at night, which it seems a lot of the stories that Isaac got, especially from um, his one friend, a lot of weird shit happens at night for this guy. Mm, yeah. So we're in this three-story tall building, and some bizarre creature just comes strolling in with feet that he said are two feet long with red hot legs and I don't know if that specifically means like you said earlier like red hair like you know fiery red hair or if these things are glowing like embers but that doesn't matter either way because from the shins up there's nothing fucking there so it doesn't matter if it's red head or you know demon legs it's just a whole lot of hell no like that story that you told us that one time about your um uh, your sleep paralysis where like you had like this fucking goblin and like half of it was visible and the other half wasn't like an unzipped reality and just kind of like stepped through. Oh, that was Rob. Yeah, that uh, was the, uh... oh, fuck. Did he call it a tokolosh? That's a creature that comes up later in this episode. Um, Rob had a name for it and I can't think of what it was. We'll have to ask him what that was. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. I'm thinking like, I don't know, like maybe this thing was just like, fucking couldn't get all the way into reality like it couldn't unzip and so it's like <laughs> fuck it just here's my feet deal with it <laughs> just from the knees down yeah <laughs> well beyond all that man this thing is just walking down the hallway and he said it's shaking the entire building just as it's walking that is just fucking crazy with every single step he said the school just shook so i mean you gotta think if your feet are like two feet long that's 24 inches yeah yeah you gotta be a big boy so i mean you're like a 15 foot giant it's like half in reality half not (laughs) and then we still don't know you're like yeah i don't know you're glowing so maybe there's like some like uh atmosphere distortion going on around you and uh yeah that's the only thing i can think of (laughs) That's all we need, buddy. That's the only explanation we need. Yeah. Um, up next, then, we have another story, late night around midnight. And everybody's favorite, phantom children playing in the playground in complete darkness. Ooh. Yeah, that's, uh, again, there's a whole lot of hell no going on in this school. So I'm glad it's kind of him and not me. Because, again, that's super unnerving, hearing the disembodied voices of children at a school. No thanks. I'd be kind of curious, uh, I don't remember in that story if he gave a plausible explanation on why there were the disembodied voices of small children, like, was there, like, a mass murder that, like, took place? So No, no, there was no explanation about that at all. I mean, I, I would, I, that's what I want to know more about, like, because mm-hmm. you think about, okay, so Tanzania, um... It's a modernized, like, a lot of that country, um, or actually any country in Africa, if you think about in the last, like, 50 years, maybe, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's becoming a modernized city, so they're they're building schools. Like, they didn't have schools back in, like, the late 1800s, because any anything that was a colony, like, if the British were over there, or if the Dutch were over there, like, mm-hmm. they were... They weren't building schools. They didn't give a fuck. They were over there for, like, diamonds and resources and shit. So a lot of that country was still undeveloped until, you know, recently, like, within the last, like, 50, 60 years. So if there, right, wasn't, right. If there wasn't, like, a massacre at a, at a school within, like, 50, 60 years, like, was there, like, a village there where, like, another tribe came in and just fucking wiped these kids out? Like, I need answers. I need to know. Yeah, you're thinking along the lines of, like, residual haunting, residual trauma, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, there's been a shit ton of violence all across Africa, you know, both 
white man invading and also just their own violence against each other. So who knows, man? It could be definitely some kind of massacre. The cool thing here is um, we can do some Zoom chatting as well with Isaac's friends because they were actually pretty excited about the opportunity to do that. I just got to get it set up and we can jump on and do a chat and we can probably dive a hell of a lot deeper because some of the audio that I cut out, some of like just the, you know, banter back and forth and just chatting between stories, they both said, we've got so many stories and there's people in the villages that have stories. And I mean, we only got like a 20 minute snippet (laughs) of these people's lives. So yeah, there's, there's way more to uh, uncover, I'm sure. Well, the third story in our intro here we got a phantom tractor plowing through fields in the middle of the night only to find out the next morning that there's no evidence of any grass being cut or any, you know, wheat being harvested. So, again, we're talking about fucking, what's that Stephen King movie called? I don't, um, I don't know. Field of Dreams? That's not Stephen King. Maximum Overdrive. We're, we're talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're talking about Maximum Overdrive here, man. You got machines with minds of their own rolling around again around the witching hour or is it more like ghostbusters too like when they're in the subway and the train like the ghost train just comes through and like oh man goes right through like maybe this is like a ghost (laughs) tractor (laughs) right right exactly three o'clock at night surprise motherfucker and then boom disappears (laughs) another day i was in a class we had louvers i think i was in home five or somewhere there and I was working on, whenever I was tired, I used to go to the blackboard, take the chalk and do my calculations. There's no teacher there at that time, it's midnight. or So that was my, my uh, that makes me, if I'm standing, I can do better because yeah. rather than sitting, you may feel sleepy or. Yeah. So that day I was working on a blackboard and I think it was like four o'clock in the morning. I was, I went to the classroom midnight or one ish somewhere there and I was waking until three and I felt I was tired. So rather than me walking back to the dorm, I'd rather do some calculation and with the calculation I really like maths. So it was just like boosting me to do something else. As I was doing it, then the louvers were half open and here comes a, you know all a bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm came to the window and and it's rare oh you know threatened me I, my goodness and it was just close by <laughs> i looked at it and i thought well maybe the best way take a piece of uh, stick and i tried to threaten and really ran away i was worried yeah so i did this scam but we have such things and these are just two examples. Yeah. At Iyambi, uh, not Iyambi Hospital, Iyambi Village, yeah, yeah. where you'll be, mm-hmm. that's where we grew up. And my mom used to have a number of problems. I'll show you when we get there and whatever was happening. Yeah. There's a lot of stories. Yeah. I really recall and uh, that, but maybe involving uh, witchcrafts and... Uh, yeah. We had people really... <laughs> Okay, so now we're getting into the good stuff here. We're talking about a big old owl showing up on a window ledge, which on the outside doesn't sound like it's too terrifying. But I mean, this is one of the ones we're going to kind of dig our heels in and get into a little bit. And first of all, for those who don't know, louvers, he mentioned, louvers are like little wooden gates or grates or shutters on the front of windows that in a lot of cases you can open up, you can shut them, kind of like big wooden blinds, but they're designed to keep the wind and the bugs and the rain and so on and so forth out. So that's what he's referring to there on these windows. They also have them a lot in uh, homes down south, like around like Louisiana and um, Mm -hmm. Florida because of hurricanes. So you can actually like shut them and keep the rain and debris and shit out. So. Yeah, literally batting down the hatches. Yeah, fucking northerners don't know anything with your non-hurricane <laughs> weather. Well, the reason why he had such a response to this owl landing on this window is because owls are interesting in the fact that they're very, very, very important to African mythology and culture. So to the Kikuyu people in Kenya, owls are almost like the Mothman in the way that it's believed that owls are harbingers of death. 
if you were to see an owl or even hear its hoot in some cases, it's a premonition that you or somebody you know is about to probably pass over. In general, owls are viewed to be harbingers of bad luck, ill health, and death. And that belief is, I mean, through the ages clear up into today. Owls are just kind of a, a bizarre symbol for them. And they're in all, many countries... The, they're also related what? to uh, UFO abductions. Uh, a lot of people who have been abducted by aliens or UFOs claim of being stalked or prior to the abduction um, when they get a mm-hmm. regression. The only thing they can remember is just a giant owl. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole other nutshell that I put at the end of this little ditty here, but no, that's fine. We could talk about that now. Of course, it has to do with the big paranormal pink elephant in the room, alien abduction. And, you know, in one of these recordings towards kind of the fade out, Isaac asks him about UFOs, and he's just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, they're there. And that was something Isaac and I talked about at your wedding, and Dole chuckled as he's like, "There's UFOs are so prominent, like, they don't even worry about them. They just look, oh, yeah. It's like seeing, you know, a bug flying through the sky to them. It's just commonplace. Yeah. Well, in many African countries, the owl is also associated with sorcery and baneful magic. And the fact that you see a large owl hanging out around a house or a window is indicative that there might be a powerful shaman living in the area as well, be it either kind of a watchful eye to the shaman or possibly even the shaman itself shape-shifting into the owl just to kind of get a better lay of the land, so to speak. And a lot of times people believe that the owls are message carriers back and forth between the shaman and the spirit world. And I found this to be kind of interesting, too. In some places, nailing an owl to a door of a house was considered to be a way of keeping out evil. Have you ever heard about this? No, that's fucking terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm hoping it's like you find a dead owl. You're like, oh, it's like a horseshoe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the tradition actually began in Rome, not Africa, after owls foretold the death of Julius Caesar and several other emperors. So, the custom here persisted in a lot of areas, including Great Britain, even through the 18th century, where an owl nailed to a barn door was said to be a protector against livestock from being caught on fire or hit by lightning. But, dear listeners, if we dig down a little deeper, then we'll find out there's actually a really interesting cryptid that's related to owls as well. So, here we unlock Cryptid Encounter, the Kiki Yeon. Kaka. So the Kiki Yeon is one of the most terrifying cryptids that we've come across, and at the time, one of the least cryptids seen trudging through the forests. Its very name can conjure up a look of horror among the people. It's described as resembling a large owl with two giant round eyes on top of a head that can swivel around 360 degrees. It's got a jagged, sharp beak and long, razor-like talons extending from the arms and the feet. In many respects, it's a mixture of a bird and a human. The Bambara and Gambian people say it has a huge pair of feathered wings that grow from its back with a wingspan of 20 feet. At the shoulders on the joints, it sports two large spike spurs from each shoulder, a deadly weapon just in case the talons might fail. But don't worry, the talons never fail. The most terrifying feature is the presence of its four human-like arms, each with razor-sharp talons at the end of all four hands, much like those found on an owl's feet. And then, very similar to our beloved Mothman, it stands on top two big old thick muscular legs with again razor sharp talons at the base of each foot. It sounds a lot like some kind of badass He-Man guy, like a bad guy, you know, one of the figures you'd pick up, like uh, Mantana with the four legs and all that shit. I just picture this a real nice thick-thighed He-Man guy. Like the uh, male version of the Al-Hul or the Tick-Tick? Yeah, oh yeah, Whew. I mean, it gives me the heebie-jeebies, dude. Because, yeah, it's like fucking Goro, man, from from Mortal Kombat. Jesus. And they said, it should be noted here, it's covered in a greenish-gray hair or fur instead of feathers on the body, and it even has a short, tuft tail. 
The creature is also said to smell like a rotting snake that's been laying out in the sun for too many days. And its blood-curdling cries are said to sound like either a deep-throated grunt like that of an angry mule, or even more terrifying though, it also is known to sound like a man being strangled as it screams. <laughs> yes, just like that, but scarier. And you might ask yourself, just what exactly would this thing eat? You? What exactly would a monster this... <laughs> right. What exactly would a monster this terrifying hunt? Well, dear listeners... Small children? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and adults. The Kiki Yeon's favorite prey is the most dangerous prey of them all, man. With its muscular legs and forearms, the monster is said to be able to traverse across the ground and outrun any forest or jungle animal at will. But if it so desires, it can also take to the sky on those giant 20-foot wings, swoop down and pluck its victims up and off the ground into the sky with the greatest of ease. But what it does next to the prey could cool your blood down just a few degrees. Once the Kikiyeon catches you, it tackles you to the ground and then pins you down, holding you with two of the four arms. While it then begins to slowly tear into your stomach and your chest, ripping out your insides. But it doesn't just devour you until there's nothing left. Oh no. After appeasing itself of just an appetizer of your blood and entrails, the creature then reaches into your quivering, blood-soaked abdomen and slowly pulls out your very soul, which it then gnashes away with its razor-sharp beak. That's right, folks. The Kiki Yeon's other nickname is the Soul Cannibal. But it's not done with you just yet. After you're nearly dead from being disemboweled and eviscerated, the monster then reanimates your soulless corpse and leaves you destined to wander the lands of Africa for eternity, just like a zombie. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's a nasty fella. I wonder if this is a uh, misidentified um, dinosaur. Jaguar bat? Well, okay, so here's the thing. There, There's cryptid reports of the... I'm probably going to butcher it because... You know, I'm, I'm bad at pronouncing That's things, what we do, and then, you know, my memory kind of sucks anyways. I think it's called the Impele Imbele, and it's like this... Yeah, d- that, that was close. That was something pretty close. I remember that. Yeah, and so it's like in the Congo, in the jungle, and these cryptid hunters... F- <laughs> that was a really odd notification on my phone. Don't cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) So cryptid hunters went over there, and they're, like, basically trying to figure out what the fuck this thing is. And there was that, um, oh, that that German um, woodcarver lithograph guy that basically somebody described a rhino to him. And because he'd never been over to Africa, he had, like, no idea. But just based off the description, like, he created, like, this giant, like, hell beast. Um, huh. You know, you know the pencil drawing I'm talking about. Not off the top of my head, no. Oh man, I'll have to look it up to you. You know, post. I don't know. Add an edit in there. Figure, figure it out. Anyway, so what had happened was like as these explorers in like the early 1700s or maybe like late 1700s, they were going to like Africa. They would come back with these tales of these creatures and stuff, and so they were describing it to artists. And so this guy basically did like a wood carving of what he thought a rhino would look like based off the description from these ex- <laughs> explorers. Uh-huh. And it, it's, it's just goofy as fuck. Like, I mean, it's close, but it's not quite there. And a lot of it just has to do with, you know, we're, we're not, we're not around it every day. So like mm-hmm. for the longest time, gorillas were thought to be a myth. They're like, dude, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. Like that makes no fucking right. sense. Like you guys are fucking right. full of shit. And they go over there like, Oh shit, <laughs> there's a gorilla. Those things exist. Like, Holy crap. Um, so these cryptid hunters go over there and basically it's kind of like that same scenario where you have like the tribes people are describing this beast and they're like, 
trying to bash their heads together, figure out what this is. And this guy's like, oh, my God, yeah. this sounds like a dinosaur. So he goes and, like, gets out, like, a little book of every known, like, Brachiosaurus, Brontosaurus, and shows it to all the tribes people. <laughs> and they're like, dude, that's it. That's the Impele Impele. And the guy's mm-hmm. like, fucking dinosaurs are real. <laughs> I mean, this could be like a, a, like a pterodactyl because, I mean, it's got huge wings. It smells like a dead snake. I mean, lizard. Right, there were some oh, pterosaurs yeah. and pterodactyls that were covered in fur. This thing has fur, uh, dude. This is like a modern day dinosaur that somehow survived for generations, and it's out there in the fucking African Congo forest, just flapping its wings, fucking just ripping people apart with its he man goro legs. <laughs> he man goro legs. <laughs> um, Okay, so there is a cryptozoologist named Bernard Hoovelmans, and I that might be the guy you're talking about. I don't think it is, but it's kind of similar path to what you're talking about. He was really, uh, really important and very famous for investigating, you know, Loch Ness monster encounters and the Yeti, and he claims this thing could easily be mistaken for just a giant African bat or another larger bird. You know, the classic Ooh, that, case, like you were that talking fucking, about. That uh, fucking, what's folk- that called? Uh, the hammerhead bat that's down in Africa. I don't know if you've seen that fucking thing, but that's the thing of nightmares. Yeah, we talked about, I think that's when we talked about that um, could have been mistaken for the Jersey Devil. Yeah. Because it has Ooh. a giant, like, mini horse's head. <laughs> well, yeah, so you always, um, kind of alluding to what you were talking about, you always have that possibility that we are just seeing certain things and mistaking them for something they're not. Plus, you have folklore. You know, like you said, I saw a rhinoceros. This thing was as big as an elephant, a giant horn in the middle of its head. And next thing you know, we're picturing an elephant to be something completely different. So, yeah, easily could have been something that was just mistaken. Um, Or I like to believe you've got a giant, thick-thighed, you know, Goro Owl He-Man monster running around, just ripping shit to shreds and leaving, like, these little quivering, like, zombies running around. Man, I feel really embarrassed because I just Googled that rhino thing, and it was Albrecht, uh, Albrecht Durer that was the artist, and I should have known that. Oh, sh- yeah, yeah, yeah. The other day I was coming from... Uh, are you recording? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other day I was coming from... I know it was like... In fact, I came from Arusha. I had Wanashamba uh, is an uh, agricultural officer in my in Kungi village. We drove together, and I was coming from Arusha going to Kungi. It was midnight, like one o'clock, and we found there's a place called Kidarafa, which is between Haidom and Kungi. Then we found somebody with long ears, like um, like a hyena, but he was naked. Dancing on <laughs> in the big hole in the middle of the road. You ask and that agriculture, he still lives at the village. And he goes, hey, stop, stop. I said, no, don't stop. This is how these things happen. You know, I diverted and drove off. And he was looking at the back and keep in mind it was dark. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway. That's there cool. is. There are these cases of where there's this road, I think it's from Baringo to Napur or the other way around, where there's, there are many accidents that happen. And from the, before the accident happens, on the road you find a guy who's naked and he kind of wants accidents to happen at that same place. While you try to record on a video, you can't see them. Okay, now this one also makes me almost as excited as the Kiki Yeon because we have a story of a man with big old hyena ears laying in a hole in the road, uh, getting up and then running off, and then also stories of, you know, people or things laying in the road causing wrecks. And that's right, folks. I did a little digging, and this ended up being very similar to a creature that I've had bookmarked for about two years now called the Tokolosh or the Tokoloshe. 
So in Zulu mythology, the Tokolosh is a mischievous, dastardly dwarf-like goblin that are said to prowl around villages at night, causing all sorts of mischief, including car wrecks, and laying in the middle of the road pretending to be somebody who's injured just to get up and either scare the shit out of you, turn your car over, or just strangle you. They're oftentimes reported to look like a hunched-over, shriveled-up man with long, pointy ears, just like Isaac's friend said, you know, hyena ears, and pale, withered skin that almost looks like it's rotten. Mm. They have long, spindly arms with withered little hands, sporting long, bony fingers, each with knife-like fingernails. Its face sports a large, slack-jawed, toothy grin with a long nose, and small, shriveled-up, black, beady eyes, almost like two little dried-up raisins. But most peculiar of all here is that the Tokolosh also has a hole that's been punched in the middle of the forehead. These terrifying ghost-like goblins are incredibly violent in nature, with a fascination with choking their victims with their long, bony fingers. Or if they're not strangling people, they're just running amok, butchering livestock, trampling crops and vegetables, or breaking the windows and unscrewing door hinges. They're overall just little bastards. And beyond all that, they also get their rocks off by simply scaring the shit out of children. They're said to be the spreaders of disease and other illnesses too, and in some cases, they're even responsible for the deaths of those that they're stalking. So basically, these little bastards are like the African answer to gremlins. They're oftentimes seen commonly by the naked eye, but it's said too that they can turn invisible simply by drinking stream water or swallowing small stones. <laughs> they're like a Bush League version of uh, Frodo Baggins. Yeah. What's um remember the uh the episode that we talked about uh was it the um the machine goblins that people see on airplanes all the time and then like motorcyclists gremlins? actually put, <laughs> we were talking about gremlins, buddy. Yeah. Like the put, old school like yeah. Yeah, and they put bells on the back of their uh motorcycles, like you ever wonder why this badass yeah. like yeah. Hell's Angel dude's got like you know, frou-frou bells in the back of his motorcycle. Ding -a -ding. It's, Ding -a -ding. it's actually to ward yeah. off goblins, all right, because they fuck yep. with shit. Yeah, we did an episode um, about the road goblins, and we did, like, a dive into World War II and the goblins, or the uh, gremlins, sorry, road gremlins and uh, World War II and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, dude, we talked about the uh, the Looney Tunes uh, episode there when Bugs Bunny fought the gremlins and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty much an African gremlin, man, is what it sounds like but also more fucking metal. Oddly enough, unlike the American or European gremlin counterpart, the Tokolosh aren't a naturally occurring creature, but instead, these nasty little buggers are commonly manifested by witch doctors. And they're done so for the vengeful clients who wish to have these little goblins carry out specific deeds or acts for them. In exchange for a nasty little goblin sidekick, the client must promise the witch doctor the soul of a loved one. But however, they can't just choose which relative or loved one's soul to then give up to the witch doctor. Well, fuck, because I, I got some relatives of mine. I'd have me, me and my own little goblin companion, like, right now, Jason. <laughs> yeah. In your basement, you just got, like, seven of them just watching yeah. TV, drinking beer. Hey. Yeah. I got a lot of cousins I don't like. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> In exchange for a nasty little goblin sidekick, the client must promise the witch doctor a soul of a loved one. However, they cannot choose which soul the witch doctor may take, as that is up to the Tokolosh itself, who will choose the soul it decides to take when the deed is done. So first, the witch doctor locates a dead body to be possessed, and then retreats with the corpse back to its hut. Next, they take a hot wrought iron poker and pierce both the eye sockets and then the forehead, thus to puncture the brain so the newly reanimated creature can no longer think for itself. And then they sprinkle it with a mixture of a special powder, shrinking and shriveling the body down to its diminutive goblin-like form. 
After the ceremony is complete, the client will bury a muthi, or a small totem, that contains a selection of oils, herbal balms, and various body parts of dead animals. This mixture is then buried close to the house of the person that the witch doctor wishes the tokolosh to attack. Then the tokolosh is set loose to terrorize the target by either stalking them, haunting them, wrecking their farms, slashing their tires, causing them to wreck, or simply hiding in potholes just to jump out in the middle of the road, scaring the living shit out of unsuspecting victims. Or in some cases, they just straight up fucking murder people. The tokolosh takes its payment in the form of the soul of a client's loved one, and then possesses that soul for a period of weeks, months, or maybe even years, depending on what the little goblin bastard decides to do. So it's a real, you know, crapshoot, man. You're rolling the dice on one of these things because when your job's over, this little bad boy's just getting started. It's like the gift that just keeps on giving. Yeah. I'm just disappointed I can't tell it, like, who to take. Like, you know, I I love everybody in my family. It's just some of them I don't like particularly, and I'm just like, meh. <laughs> you can take Cousin Dan. <laughs> You know, be all right. <laughs> right. Fuck, fuck that guy. I mean, that's that's the part. That's the monkey paw, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah go fucking kill Cousin Kenny. Yeah, fuck that guy. And the next thing you know, you know, Jeffrey's looking at you with crossed eyes and she's drooling some green shit. And you're like, oh, that's the soul it took. Uh-oh. Yeah. God dang it. Mm-hmm. That's a roll of dice, baby. Yeah. But fear not, because there are certain ways to combat these little tokolosh bastards. The creatures can possibly be banished by a pastor, especially with an apostolic calling, who has the power to expel it from the area through prayer. But according to legend, the only way to truly destroy a tokolosh is to find and thus destroy the muthi, or totem, left by the witch doctor, which gives the tokolosh its power. Preventative and pacifying measures against the tokolosh are much easier to do as well and may involve the scattering of special blessed salts around door frames and window sills. These salts come dyed in various colors and are referred to as tokolosh salts. They also can be appeased by giving them curdled milk. Mm. So again, we find the uh, salt and the paranormal holding hand in hand again, right? Warding off evil spirits. I think, uh, you know, the the best course of action for any of these paranormal activities is uh, you need to be like old Ashley Williams and you need your trusty (laughs) boomstick with uh, rock salt pellets in it. And I think you're good Mm -hmm. to go, dude. Tokolosh rock salt, yeah. Yeah, just... You know, you, you regular rock salt, tokolos rock salt, maybe some rock salt with some sage in it. Um, mm-hmm. The possibilities mm-hmm. are endless. You know, you just have like your little, you know, man purse hanging off to the side with, uh, you know, your mm-hmm. little different, you know, shotgun shells in it, and uh, just fucking go to town, dude. <laughs> I think you got it, man. If you think yeah. one of those little bastards is running around outside your house, just. Fill up a nice tall mug of, you know, room temperature curdled milk, sit it outside, and then when this guy's just going to milkshake town on this, you sneak up behind it with your boomstick and just rock salt the shit out of the back of its head. Yeah, and there's a uh, Italian company that makes a three-barrel shotgun that, can, that you can fire off the, the <laughs> barrels independently or all at uh-huh. once. And so I'm thinking put it on the all-at-once option and load each, oh, yeah, dude. each one in there. You know, that way you're not taking your chances. Like, dude, I got you with the regular salt, the Kokolo salt, and I got you with the, you know, the <laughs> demon sage salt that the priest. I put some Himalayan was. pink sea salt in there just yeah. for safe measures. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think we got this one. Fucking just out, shoot buddy. your ass back to hell, baby. <laughs> Seasoned preserved by all that fucking salt. Mm. <laughs> So these are some of the stories. Hold on, before we go farther, tell me, tell me again, so I can record it about the night runners. About the night runners. Night runners. They use hyenas, those wildlife animals, and they hold the, the ears like a motorcycle, and they go far. While in Kenya, they mostly don't use animals, but they, they run use... while naked, and they run really fast, like. You see how Elliot won the world race? Yeah. How oh, faster than that? Hey. Really fast, and yeah, you can't catch them. 
So now we have the story that I was the most interested in hearing about, which is the infamous Night Runners. Now, there's a terrific BBC documentary on YouTube that you can find right now, and I would strongly, strongly urge you guys to all go on there and Google it. In fact, I will actually put that um, link in the Facebook post so that you guys can find it. It's like an hour long, but oh, it's so, it's so good. It's called Meet the Night Runners. That was a really hard documentary to watch. I mean, granted, I was, you know, at work and I'm like, okay, you know, I told Sean I do this shit before the show and I'm watching it. And then I'm just like, what the fuck did I just get myself into? Um, holy crap. I've taken a lot of the info I have about Night Runners from the documentary, some of it, but not all of it because I didn't want to ruin the entire thing because I really, like I said, I really urge you guys to watch it. So there's some stuff I have left out here. Um, but this is a really awesome example of where the paranormal myth meets reality of what's really happening. So like we heard in the story here, it said that they can ride on the back of hyenas like motorcycles, which is just fucking awesome. <laughs> and to me, I just picture these buck-ass naked people with like glowing red eyes riding hyenas like, you know, motorbikes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Right <laughs> yep. With their little uh, gremlin bells in the back of the hyena's butt. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Tokloche. <laughs> well, the people of rural Kenya have spoken of the night runners for generations. These are people that run through the villages at night all night long, banging on huts, tossing sand and dirt onto their metal roofs terrorizing people just left and right. They're trampling down crops. They're fucking with cows and other livestock. Um, they've even gone as far as like some stories of them sabotaging milking cows by just, you know, sitting there and squeezing and flicking the udders until the next morning you wake up to milk your cow and the teats are just completely inflamed because they've been messed with all night long. It just sounds like an absolute nightmare. Now, the folklore and the legend here is that night runners are ordinary people who have been possessed by demonic spirits, which then compel them to run through the villages at night, uh, usually butt-ass naked, to terrorize neighbors for the entire duration of nightfall. But no one really knows what motivates the night runners. So there's one specific story here about a man whose father had passed away. And after he dies, the son finds a small tin box containing three small stones and some soil. Now, this could also be thought of, I believe, to be one of those muthis, one of those little totems. But after finding it and stepping across it because it was laying in a door frame, by nightfall the same day, this young man took to night running as he believed his father did the same thing and thus left the totem for him to find to essentially be possessed by the same spirit that left his body when he passed away. But what's even stranger here is that after a while, his wife became suspicious of noticing the husband leave every night. So every night about nightfall, the husband would walk out of the house and just, I'm going for a run. And then he just goes out and just bangs on people's huts and terrorizes people making weird noises and everything else. Well, one night, his wife followed him out, suspecting that he was going out to meet another woman. And then after doing this a couple times, she notices one night as she's leaving the house, she looks down and sees a small bundle of stones and ash that are wrapped up together. So as soon as she steps over that, she claims that she feels all of a sudden this strong urge to go running through the night causing havoc as well. And so thus she believes she was possessed by another night runner spirit. And she says, try as she might, there's nights when she tries to not go running even though she feels compelled. And if she somehow manages to stave off the urge to get out there and do it, then all the next day she feels physically ill. She'll vomit. She'll get a fever. She'll just get completely sick. So it begs the question, you know, is this a mental illness of sorts, like some kind of weird hysteria? Um, are they people who really are, you know, possessed by spirits? Is it some kind of like reverse placebo because you think therefore you are? One of the earlier it's episodes that we did man my math sucks maybe like episode mm -hmm. 12 episode 13 so we we did an episode on on mass hysteria and we covered a lot of mm -hmm. different cultures that had these bouts where something weird affected a huge 
part of the population. So back in like the 1700s, you had this whole convent of nuns that wouldn't stop laughing. Like just. Oh, yeah. Laughing nuns. Yeah. Like they're. And they're just like they're possessed. Right. And then was Mm -hmm. it like uh, Taiwan or Vietnam where all of a sudden like every single guy was like, dude, my fucking dick is shrinking. It's disappearing. And. Mm -hmm. Nobody could ever figure out, like, what was causing the mass hysteria. So the easy uh-huh. answer for Night Runners is yes, it's mass hysteria. So it's, it's a, you know, a symptom that's, a, you know, the same symptomatic whatever that's affecting this huge population. But what's actually causing it? And, like, science, we don't really ever fully explore it. Uh-huh. But then if you look at all these cases of mass hysteria – there is like some part of folklore or like you have somebody who, you know, clings to the old ways that would tell you like, it's a possession. It's a demon doing this. It's, you know, like a curse. Mm -hmm. And the science is like, dude, fuck your demons. Fuck your curses. Like these people are just fucking Mm -hmm. high or some shit. And I'm like, I'm like, you listen to these stories. And I'm like, I can't think of any mass, like what science could say that would make literally hundreds of men think their dicks were falling off or like, like, the one guy in the BBC documentary, like, his face was all burned to f- shit. Like, yeah. that's how they got him yeah. to stop night running. I I can't think of, like, anything mass hysteria-wise where just one day I'm going to wake up and you're like, you know what sounds good today, Jerry? I'm going to fucking run from 10 o'clock at night until, I don't know, maybe never until somebody burns half my face <laughs> off. Then I'll stop. That sounds like a fun time. Like, that that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely interesting. You mentioned kind of just the generational thing, you know, it's it's their folklore from years ago. That's kind of what it boils down to is generation after generation of growing up at um, waking up at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, hearing people talking and murmuring and, you know, laughing and making these weird noises outside of your house. And then, you know, your your mom or your grandma looks over and says, shh, those are the night runners. And you're like, what the fuck's a night runner, man? And all of a sudden you hear like the sounds of like them hitting the side of the hut and banging on the roof. And you hear sand and stones getting, you know, thrown against the tin roof and the sides of your hut and people banging on doors. And generation after generation after generation, you have that fear instilled inside of you of like, oh, God, I don't want to end up like one of them. Don't go outside because they'll get you and then you'll be one, too. And it's not like you're, you know, possessed 24-7. So the other side of the coin is you could have a, you know, nine to five job. You could be um, a farmer or whatever. And then by nightfall, you get the urge all of a sudden that takes over you like this possessed spirit. And you got to go outside and fuck shit up. And so you may grow up with a grandma or a grandpa who's a night runner as well. And if they fully believe they're possessed by this spirit, they can supposedly pass it on to you. Kind of like the guy whose dad, you know, left him the little tin full of rocks and and earth. And then all of a sudden you look at it and you can't help but think, oh, shit. And then, you know, your mind just leads itself. Next thing you know, you're a night runner. And somebody should get a shotgun full of, uh, you know, rock salt. You know, <laughs> well, that's the that's kind of the <laughs> that's the perfect segue into the next part here. Um, the question lingers: What if you get caught? Because in the documentary, um, you know, it's not really much of a spoiler because we talked about part of it already. But like, it is the documentary crew following uh, a couple night runners and watching them with you know infrared cameras, seeing what they do, and you can't help but ask yourself okay, like what's, what's going on? Like they're going to get caught, right? There's no way in, let's just call it 50 years, one has not been caught. You've got a lot of worries that a company being a night runner. Injuries. You're out there just running amok. What happens if you step in the, you know, go for a hole or whatever the equivalency is in Africa. You twist an ankle, you break a leg, you get a severe cut. Um, what if you get attacked by somebody who jumps out of their hut all of a sudden because they're anticipating you and you catch a machete to the side of the head mm. or you get gutted? You know, what if you get caught by the, like, you know, the cops? What if you get arrested? Now you're looking at jail time. I don't know. It's wild. But the story you were talking about is kind of like the really big, you know, kind of record scratch in this documentary. Um, this one guy was a night runner, had plenty of years doing it. And then one evening he gets ambushed and they dump boiling hot water on him. And it was just gut wrenching because it looked like the guy had just melted. 
-hmm. Like his lips are kind of like smeared to the side and his cheek and his neck are just stuck to his shoulder and his chest is just, it looks like someone just took a stick and just, you know, stirred and swirled up the, the skin on his chest. And it was just heartbreaking because then you have this guy who's the billboard for why you shouldn't be a night runner. And it instantly, you know, makes the woman think, I don't want to do this shit anymore. But the man is so deep into it. Uh, he's just like, I don't think I can quit. This is not going to stop me from doing this. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's one of those things. Is it culture? Is it, I hate to say mental illness, but, you know, is it a mental thing? What is it? I don't know. It's, again, it's where your mythology and your folklore meet the real world and kind of get intertwined. I really wish the docu documentary shows somebody just fucking, like, hyena in it across, like, you know, <laughs> the African jungle. Like <laughs> I know. That's what I wanted to see was somebody just riding one of those Harley hyenas. You think that it, as far as, like, like a problem goes, so, like, you have, like, in this region or this area, you have, like, this known pr uh, problem. Like, here in the United States, like, we are, I don't want to say, like, overpopulated, because I think everywhere. <laughs> but we are. <laughs> it, yeah. Every, but everywhere in the world, though, has, like, a population issue, right? But you go over mm -hmm. there. And it's just like you're, dude. You're fucking like just packed in like a sardine can, and then all of a sudden you have like this wide open space where it's just fucking nothing, and then boom, you got like millions of people shoved in this one area again. Like mm -hmm. you, you're telling me like you can't come together as a region, and be like, yeah, we we got this fucking issue. We also got like you know two thousand acres of fucking wildlife land that we're not really doing anything with. Um, I don't know, let's put up, like, some fence and shit, throw some, like, old buildings and cars in there and be like, Night Runner Sanctuary, baby, and just lock them in at night. <laughs> That's it. Um, it's funny you say that because there's actually an organization developing about how they can kind of turn this into more of a, a sport or some kind of recreational activity. That way it goes far away from being about terrorizing people and messing with people all night long and turn it into a better way to control the urge and a better way to kind of, like you said, sanction everyone together in a more controlled environment. And they're looking at making it like a like an overnight sport where you can wrestle and get together and run around fires and do all this, you know, wild, rompous stuff. But now you're not keeping people up, you know, for 10 hours a night when they should be sleeping. And you're kind of, you know, keeping the tradition, but just slightly changing the culture a little bit. But, I mean, it all comes down to the question, are they truly cursed? Are they just kind of in their own heads with some kind of mental instability? Or either way you cook it, it comes down to the point where plenty of these people say they just can't stop. So, I mean, what do you do? you got to find a good solution here, but I don't know. Mm. I guess time will tell. Yeah. Back in the 60s when my dad was, uh, you, you know, he was a gynecologist in the health center. I mean, uh, exactly. healthy doctor. I mean, I call public healthy uh, yeah. person. So he used to go around visiting the dispensaries and clinics in different villages. That's how we came to know most of these villages. Yeah. Uh, one day, I remember, he came back. It was night, like... 90s, he parked his car and he saw we call dick dick, like a little, little antelope. Yeah, yeah. Little so he saw it and he used to drive whenever he drove, the, his car used to carry his gun. Yeah, then he decided to shoot. If this is a dick dick, let me shoot. So he used the torch we call torch, you call how do you call it? Flashlight, flashlight. Yeah, and he was about to shoot that person, that dick dick changed and said, no, 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 don't shoot me, my uncle, it's me. That woman passed away like 10 years ago last time, but it was her and my dad said, what are you doing? I will shoot you, I'll kill you. And she, she said, sorry, I'm going home, and she left. Did, did, so, you, did you ever ask her about no, that? we already opened the door because we were ready to receive our dad coming from work. Yeah. So he saw it and said, this is a stupid person. Why is he trying to reach me? <laughs> <laughs>
So, um, we I told you yesterday that we had I have a lot of stories about. Yeah, that. I want to hear every single one of them. No, that's. <laughs> All right, and what what a fun story to finish the episode off on. Uh, we have something I like to call the Where Dick Dick. And <laughs> if you decide to Google that, folks, you got to put the safe search on. Um, you won't like the results. I promise, don't do it. Something should not be seen. <laughs> but, yeah, you um, should probably also know know the spelling um, because it's not D-I-C-K, <laughs> D-I-C-K. Um, no, that's a whole different uh, animal. Yeah. No, the Dick Dick, D-I-K-D-I-K. They're like cute little bunny rabbits that had a baby with a deer. They're just absolutely adorable. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> this guy finds out that his niece is a, uh, a shapeshifter. That's got to be a record scratch in itself. Yeah. <laughs> well, Isaac, we really want to, again, thank you and your friends from the bottom of our hearts. This has been a lot of fun um, getting into this and researching some of this and just hearing how we're not just a couple crazy kooks over here in America loving the paranormal, that it actually really does extend to the farthest reaches of the globe, so to speak. I, I always enjoy episodes like this where we we dive into, like, the folklore of other cultures you think like you're going to be a traveling man and you're you're visiting these areas right i had a um a buddy that was a youth pastor that um, did missionary work in africa and you know they would go over there and basically they were told like okay so here's the one thing that you have to worry about and it was like when you go out in the middle of the night to take a shit um, in the outhouse, like you got to carry like a lantern and a gun with you because a warthog could like bust down the door and like rip you to shreds or mm-hmm. like you go to certain parts of the country and like maybe they're war torn. So you have like guerrilla warfare. So you kind of got to be careful being a foreigner traveling like in and out. But those are the only stories that you ever hear. No, folks, we're here to tell you about the real shit that you need to watch out for <laughs> if you ever travel outside of the United States. And we're also going to tell you about the shit you should watch out for while living in the United States because it's all the same. It's everywhere. <laughs> Stick with us, kids. We'll teach yeah. you everything you need to know and a lot of stuff you wish you never heard. Yeah. The Dick Dick. You're welcome. Bet you didn't know about it. <laughs> Google Dick Dick, but spell it correctly. D-I-K, D-I-K. Yeah. They are adorable. But whatever you do, put the safe search on because, yeah, boy, howdy. Whoa. Well, if you're on the social medias, please check us out on the Instagram at P-X-L-P-A-R-A. If you're on Facebook, make sure you follow us on Facebook, the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast, and I'll be sure to post a link to that YouTube. Um, I'll be sure to post a YouTube link to that documentary about the Night Runners because it really is fascinating, and there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more stuff I left out just because I think a lot of people should check that out just to see, again, where culture meets the paranormal meets folklore it's it's pretty rad what do you got on uh youtubers buddy oh shit what was the name of that episode with the conquistador with the uh afro the vertical plane um Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like it started out you know 15 views and then like 100 views and then like 500 views and then it was like 1100 views uh we're up to 3.5 thousand views on episode 155 the it's, vertical plane and that it's so just, silly man i i yeah. want to know who's googling that who's searching for that specifically it's just so bizarre yeah. and random oh good stuff have you got any of the new stuff up on uh youtube yet i haven't yet that's my goal within right. a week or two um Cool. I just want to point yeah. out too the the uh, the other episode that really shocks me and surprises me is uh, the um, now I got to find it. It's the busting a tut. Um, <laughs> yeah, that one I, gets lots of love. I thought uh, I thought th- th- just the name alone. Like that would put that one up there. Like people would be like busting a tut. That's clever. Um, let's go look at it. Ten fucking views. Ten views. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, what's going on there, people? Because that name alone should get us like, I don't know, 4,000 views maybe. Or nobody else has the childlike sense of humor that we have and they think we're idiots. Yeah, that could be it. That could be it. Well, folks, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to bust some beard bomb um, in your face instead of on a mummy, uh, you should go over to BigDobsBeardBomb.com and uh, use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order, and you'll be busting a tut for scents like Bay Rum, Fresh, Citrus, <laughs> Sweet, Mint, Classic, and Dundee Cedar. I don't know if I mentioned Dundee Cedar, but... You know, I like them all. I've really tried them all and busted my own tut several times just trying the different scents in my face. And you know what? I owe it all to, to Dobbs. He's the man. He's the man that's made my <laughs> beard look, you know, gorgeous and smell phenomenal. So, And if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by and see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang at CD Trade Post, Pawnee and Seneca. All right. On behalf of Big Steven, cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the Paranormal Highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.